Welcome, folks. Uh, here we are, episode five, uh, moving right along. I'm still, uh, I'll tell you, I get excited to record episodes like starting on Monday is when the excitement builds. And uh, so I, I miss you guys for the week. I, I don't know if once a week is often enough yet, but uh, I, uh, if you have feedback, let me know. Uh, I'm having a good time uh, doing this. Uh, episode five, uh, I'm not sure what we're going to title it yet, but uh, maybe it's going to be something about India weather. We'll see. Uh, but welcome uh, back. Uh, I hope you guys are having a, having a good time listening and, and staying in, in tune with what we got going on here at the What the Futures podcast. Um, lots of different ways to communicate with us, folks. We've got our social media, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Send us a message. We will respond. Uh, of course, you can reach out to the text line. That's one 606 1889 Again, uh, uh, text futures uh, to that number and you'll get added on to our uh, text list. You can email me at whatthefutures at gmail.com. And of course, head over to the website whatthefuturespodcast.ca and uh, send me a message through that. Lots of ways to interact with the show. And remember, you have an opportunity to drive the, the bus here a little bit. So if you have a topic that you want covered off, uh, just like Keaton out of Fisk, Saskatchewan, wanted to know about brown mustard. Um, appreciate you reaching out, Keaton. I've got Chuck Penner uh, joining us to cover that topic here later on in today's episode in just a couple of minutes. Um, we also have, like everybody, a bit of a Black Friday sale. So if you want to uh, go and buy a hat and a hoodie, I'll send you a, a, a free bag here of What the Futures Coffee. That's a Brazilian dark roast. Uh, we have a, a partnership with Roasty Coffee Company out of Sherwood Park, Alberta. Uh, great stuff. So that's if you order a hat and a hoodie. If you spend 125 bucks, uh, I will also throw in some free shipping. Now, we don't have a storefront, so I did email out a list of what we had. Uh, we've got some hoodies, some hats, some toques. Um, not a lot of stuff, right? So it doesn't make sense to have uh, a storefront going at this time. But if you're like, hey, Ryan, I'm interested in getting some free coffee. What do you have? Uh, I'll email you over the listing. And of course, you can always join our uh, newsletter uh, on the website. Uh, those folks got the email yesterday. I'll send it out again on Friday um, to check out what we have going on. Uh, maybe I'll splash them on Instagram as well. We'll see uh, how far I get. I uh, also want to uh, thank our sponsors. Of course, from the beginning, we have Pioneer Seeds. That's uh, Tower Farms, uh, the agency, uh, Jacob and Becky Boychuk. Uh, appreciate you guys uh, sponsoring us early on. And uh, of course, they help. Uh, uh, they're going to help some lucky farm win a bag of P516L. Uh, we're going to give away free canola seed every month here starting in December. And uh, how do you qualify? Uh, send me a voicemail on the website, send me an email, text message, ask a question, make a comment about the show, and uh, I'll get your name entered for that. Uh, I think we draw December 22nd, and the odds are phenomenal. I think we got three people in there right now. Uh, also, I want to thank our new show sponsor, Drumroll, please, Taurus Egg. Uh, Craig Davidson joining the show a little bit later on to talk about how we can grow a monster oat crop in 2024. Uh, spoiler alert, he uses a lot of big words uh, to help us grow that big crop. And uh, I learned something as well. I'm not an agronomist at all. If I ever give you agronomy uh, advice, I may have had one too many cocktails. And uh, please do not listen to my agronomic advice. So Craig's going to help us out with that. 
Uh, all right, before we get into the nuts and bolts here, let's go over our positive moments for the week. Um, of course, I like talking about my, my family and my kids, right? And uh, they bring me a lot of joy each and every week. So they often find themselves in the positive moment uh, part of the episode. And this week's no different. My daughter, Wilhelmina, is uh, three years old. And uh, I wanted uh, to get her her first pair of skates. And uh, we went and did that earlier this week. Grabbed a nice pair of used skates. Grabbed her a, a nice helmet with a cage. And I, I th that was a plan. Uh, skates and helmet and away we go. Well, we're at the till. And she says, Dad, we don't have everything. What do you mean we don't have everything? Well, I don't have my stick. I said, do you want a hockey stick? She says, yeah, I want a hockey stick. I'm like, all right, let's get you a hockey stick. So we go, we get the stick, we get the tape, we get a couple of pucks and balls, everything um, to get her set up to start shooting some pucks here and having some fun. And, uh, you know, I just, I did, didn't dawn on me. Um, I, I was felt a lot of, uh, a lot of pride and a lot of joy in that moment because I didn't know that that was uh, something that had caught her eye. And uh, I just want to mention, if you are a coach of a professional hockey team, and for some reason you're tuning into the podcast, a farming podcast, uh, just pencil her in for Right Shot D uh, in like uh, like 18 years. Pencil her in, college, whatever level, uh, she's coming for you. So uh, so that was fun. Uh, my other positive moment is that my my stepladder, um, or my ladder, I guess not really stepladder, but my ladder held. I put my Christmas lights up. And, and it held once again for another year. Now, you might wonder why, why that would be such a positive moment. But if you've ever met me or have seen me, uh, I challenge the integrity of that equipment every time I use it. Okay, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a bigger guy. And so when the ladder sees me coming for Christmas light time, it, uh, you know, it's rallying the troops. It's, it's talking to the rungs. It's, it's, it's getting itself ready for what's about to happen. And once again, it held its end of the bargain. And I safely put up my Christmas lights here in 2023. Uh, even when I mentioned to my wife, the morning I wake up, I'm like, you know, this is the day I'm putting up Christmas lights. I swear that she runs to the filing cabinet, grabs our paperwork to make sure that my life insurance is, uh, is in place. And uh, I don't know if it's fear that I see across her face necessarily, uh, but at the end of the day, she says that uh, that all is good and uh, she's happy that I survived another year of, uh, of putting on Christmas lights. <laughs> all right, um, let's get to the serious stuff now, the, the nuts and bolts of this episode. I have a lot to talk about. And uh, before we get into some of my, uh, some of my maybe things that I learned here, over the last couple of days, and we, we're not going to get to all of it here uh, today. I'm going to have to bump some of this stuff into next week's episode, um, but it's been an interesting week. So before we get to that, let's bring in uh, Chuck Penner and let's, uh, let's dive into some of these uh, uh, very unique uh, and interesting um, market topics. Uh, so, you know, without further ado, Chuck, welcome back to the What the Futures podcast, man. Appreciate you taking the time to join us. How is your day going? Well, I'm uh, just about to wrap up. Well, no, not quite, but got a few more things to do, but it's been good. I'm always good awesome. when I, you can always work hard and, and spin your wheels and get nothing done, but then some days you actually get things done. And so today's been one of those days. Good days for sure. You bet. 
Uh, I got a lot of questions for you for this week and uh, some, I think some tough ones. So uh, we'll put you on the spot here and see what we can get for answers. Okay. But I want to start off, I caught an article last night uh, in regards to India and maybe some some weather concerns going on in India. Um, I know that, uh, I believe I saw across your Twitter feed, uh, some reference to maybe planting pace or something like that. I can't quite remember, so don't quote me exactly. But if do you have anything you want to share with the listeners about uh, India and what's going on there? Well, yeah, I mean, this is the time of year when we really start to watch that pretty closely because this is their, they call it the Rabi planting season. So that's when they plant things like peas and lentils and chickpeas, which are the three pulses that we really care about. And the country, uh, India, is pretty nervous about its pulse supplies. They've already been importing lentils at a record pace. Okay. Uh, and large amount of those are, are reds, but, uh, but all greens as well, which is kind of funny because we don't see red lentil prices moving. Yeah, but I yeah. would say yet uh, would be okay. the would be the operative word there. Um, so so they're pl- they're starting to plant that now, and they started off really strongly. They were uh, especially on lentils. They were running well ahead of average, but I think that was more so because they just got an early start. It was drier, so we know that when it's dry here, for example, farmers get on the land quicker and and so on. So I think it's partly that. But in the last week or two, it's actually really slowed down quite a bit. So they were well ahead of average and now they're actually dropped below average. So I don't know that could be just, well, they're not getting the reports from the various parts of the country Mm -hmm. quick enough or something, or uh, I don't want to jump to conclusions quite yet. Um, But at the same time, watching weather there. And so again, it's there, it's the planting season and they, it is the drier part of the year. This Rabi season is the dry season uh, type of thing. Um, but even compared to what they normally get, uh, they're already running behind on moisture too. So okay. in the kind of north central, if, if you ever see a map of weather in India, it's kind of the north central part of the country and then up to the northeast a little bit is the uh, is where they grow most of the peas and lentils anyway. And those uh, it's it's a mixed bag right now. Maybe I'll put it that way because there's areas that are that are quite dry and some that have been getting normal rainfall so far. But okay. the biggest areas are dry, so so yeah, India is is absolutely worth watching. Uh, and and here's the intriguing part. What I find intriguing, uh, here's a this is an inside scoop for your uh, for your listeners. Nice. Um, but pea prices in India, yellow pea prices in India have been have been just rocketing higher lately. Uh, and so they've moved up well above Desi chickpea prices. And I don't know all of the reasons why, but I'm just watching these prices. Now, uh, you probably also know that, well, right now, India isn't importing. They don't allow any imports of peas. They haven't for years. Um, yep. They have 50 or 60% import tariffs, and they actually have a limit on the volumes, even if you would uh, sell in there. But with prices shooting higher like that, you start to wonder whether they're going to back off on the on their import restrictions if they're going to start scaling those back a little bit and that for the p market especially would be a game changer yeah that's uh, huge now i'm not yeah. gonna you know guarantee anything or like i i don't even know if i'd put a whole lot of money on that but it's something to keep your keep an eye on yeah i uh i'm just gonna put that down as chuck's early christmas present to farmers in western canada <laughs> well so. it wouldn't be mine it would be mr <laughs> modi's uh mr modi's uh christmas present and, and, and the other part of that is too is that um india is having an election in april a general election 
Okay. Um, and so they want to keep their consumers happy. So higher food prices, uh, they want to try and uh, move away from that. And so because yep. they have these restrictions, if they would drop them, you could get more imports in and, um, you know, and, and help lower food prices. If only it were that simple here. But yeah, anyway. Well, that's that's great. Let's put that on the radar here to keep an eye on on what's going on with India. Anything else on that topic, or is that? Uh, I think that's me? that's the big part. Anyway, the main Good. the main pieces. Well, I'm I'm going to switch now to the second question I had, which was we have sideways markets in a lot of the specialty crops right now. If you look at, you know, I would look at most of the peas and lentils, uh, flax. Um, my question was, do we stay patient and wait for more demand to arrive? But uh, any any additional thoughts around that? Yeah, well, I'm going to have to take them one at a one at a time um, yeah. because each each market is different. Um, so I would say for things like green and uh, maple peas that have really taken off, um, you know, they've gone up and then they've kind of plateaued. Maybe that's a that's a good way of putting it. Mm -hmm. um, and to a large degree, it's because the buyers have have bought what they need for the short term uh, and then they kind of back off a little bit but it's not like that market is going to go soft either in the next you know well the next number of months i would say sure. and yeah. every time because the supplies of those are so tight uh, every time somebody wants to come back in and buy some more like some importer wants to come in for more canadian green or maple peas uh, they're gonna have to pay a little bit more than they did last time so that one i'm not too worried about um, the yellow pea market, uh, aside from what we just talked about with India, um, there are a little more concerns there. And it's mostly because there we're competing with Russian peas in China. And Russian peas are, uh, I'm going to say, 40 to $50 a ton cheaper um, landed in, in India, in China, sorry, uh, mm -hmm. than Canadian peas. So it's, it's really, Canadian peas still have the better quality. Um, but it's acting as a governor on that market. So I don't know. Of course, if India changes its plans, yeah. then, you know, all bets are off and, and uh, whatever. But but that would be kind of the situation for the peas. Um, on, uh, on, on flax, that, that's one where we were really not seeing much, if any, demand at all. We took a bit of a, a rise early in the year. Mostly that was, I think... Um, like domestic processors, like the people who who mill it for feed and and for uh, well and for oil and and uh, that type of thing, uh, that they were getting their coverage and and a little bit from the U.S. as well too. Um, there, I think um, we could see a little bit of strength, but you know earlier I was kind of hoping for more buying from China and from Europe, and so far anyway there there aren't signs that that's happening. Uh, it could still happen later in the year. I'm not going to rule it out, but but even there, I think the big thing that's going to happen with flax, well, it's, not, it's actually not going to happen with flax, is that farmers aren't going to be selling much. So that'll mm -hmm. keep it from dropping too. Um, so that's that's going to be fairly firm there. Um, on lentils, that was the other one. Uh, it's, it's a little bit different for greens versus reds. Uh, greens, those prices are still going higher. So we've okay. got prices for large greens in the low 70s and small greens in the mid 60s and so we're at record prices for those it's it's kind of a little bit more like green peas is is that market will kind of it'll it'll fluctuate um as people people are just going to be buying hand to mouth so when they come in they got to spend a little bit more because again those supplies are are tightening up as well too um on reds um that's one where 
it goes a little bit back to the situation that we had in India is yep. they're buying at a record pace right now. The Australian crop is being harvested. It's a pretty good one, but not as big as last year. And of course, the Canadian crop is a lot smaller than last year. Um, so I would say that's one where you do want to be more patient. You want to be fairly patient too. The seasonal highs for red lentils tend to occur April, May. So, okay. you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get too worried about it at this stage of the year. Put it that way. Yep. No, nope. really good context there. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that. Um, bit of a mixed bag there, but uh, like you said, they're all a little bit different. So that's great. Um, I have a, a grower question for this week. Uh, Keaton out of Fisk, Saskatchewan. And just to give you some perspective on where that is, the closest A&W is in Rosetown. Okay, so okay. it's just down from gotcha. Rosetown. Uh, Keaton was looking for some insight in, in the uh, mustard market, which was one of uh, the crops you brought up for our Halloween discussion on a scary crop, maybe for market direction. Uh, but specifically brown mustard, what are you seeing in brown mustard? Yeah, that's a, it is one where, where I am, where, where things look a little scarier. I think, I guess that's the point you were trying to make. Um, and so it's, uh, put it this way. So I was uh, just this week, actually, in my, in my uh, newsletter, I was writing about, or I was showing, I was looking at european imports of mustard and and europe is our largest largest market for brown mustard so they're the ones we sell some to the states and and so on um but it's europe mainly that grows a brown or that that imports brown mustard they also import mustard from russia a little bit from ukraine a little bit from kazakhstan uh, a little bit from moldova any from out east anyway um and so uh, they are. They have been bumping up their imports, but it's been Canadian uh, share of that market has been actually dropping, um, and so um, that's a that's a really troubling signal for me uh, to a large degree. So so this year we had better mustard supplies than we did, of course, in 21-22 when there was very, very little. So we've got more mustard still sitting around and some brown. Uh, and, and then, of course, now the new harvest that's just come off. But um, we've had more supplies. So I don't think our dropping market share is because we don't have enough to send them. I think it's because our prices are still have still been high enough that Europeans are finding it better to go out east uh, okay. for their brown mustard and that's not a good situation so largely i think that we're we're kind of uncompetitive in the european market at prices where we're at now okay. uh, and so they'll buy some they, they, there are loyal buyers there and and so on but um you know it's um you know farmers here are holding on to their mustard not just brown but uh, yellow and oriental too they're holding on pretty tight and they've got some pretty high price expectations in mind i just don't know that those are feasible uh this year or maybe maybe even next year yep. uh, they, they may get them again but it it may be a long haul before they get them okay well uh you know keaton i i hope that answers your question we appreciate you uh sending that in uh chuck that's uh fantastic work as per usual um one last thing for today. 
I know you're uh, you tend to hit the road and put on a few performances throughout the winter here. Uh, what do you got coming up for uh, for for shows or uh, speaking engagements? Well, yeah, if people are if people are looking for a performance, I'll, I'm, I'm sure, sure they'll be sadly disappointed, uh, <laughs> sorely disappointed. That's uh, yeah, performing is not my is not is not my skill. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but uh, sorry, uh, that what we've got going on in the next little while. Actually, next week I'm heading out down to Montana. Uh, there's a growing grain growers uh, conference down there. I've never been down to that one before in Great okay. Falls, uh, so that'll be kind of cool. And then I'm doing an uh, I'm doing a virtual one with the Saskatchewan Canary Seed Growers in the middle of December. That's for their AGM. I think yep. I think anybody can dial into that one, join into that one. Um, and then, yeah, then once we get into January, then I'll be at the crop production show doing a couple of couple of uh, spiels there. And uh, uh, then what else do I got going on? Um, then later in oh no, later in January, I'm going back down to the states, down to Minot. Um, I'm doing this series of Sask Pulse Grower regional meetings. I'm doing some of them. My partner John is doing uh, is taking Swift Current and North Battleford. I'm taking uh, Weyburn and Humboldt. Uh, so those are in February, uh, and then uh, yeah, I also got one in Yorkton in Fe- middle of February too. So so yeah, lots Perfect. going on. Yeah, you're going to be busy. Uh, lots of chances to uh, to catch up with you. So yep. uh, that's great, Chuck. Uh, Let's try to get together again here sometime in December if we can, but always appreciate your insight uh, and uh, that you take some time uh, for the show. So thank you again, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right, absolutely, Ryan. Talk to you later. It's always great having Chuck join us uh, uh, in these episodes. He's a wealth of knowledge, so I certainly appreciate appreciate what we get for perspective. Um, we'll switch gears now to, uh, I'm still workshopping segment names, but I'll call this one like markets, markets and stuff, right? I, uh, I got to get better at, at coming up with segments and sticking with them each and every week. But uh, of course my background is crop marketing and uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I certainly like to talk about what, uh, what I'm hearing out there and, and try to share that with you as well. And this one, this first one, I'm not trying to like pick on anybody out there, you know, per se. Um, but if you look at the canola market, let's talk futures and a few things. Now, if you look at the canola market, it's um, uh, it's trading a sideways range. Um, had a rough day here, U.S. Thanksgiving Day, uh, down like 11 or 13 bucks a ton towards the bottom end of that range. And, you know, you get the high side of that somewhere around 720 to 725. Um, what I want to bring up here is that, um, you'll notice that your crushers across the prairies are, are putting up that sold out sign for, uh, December and January and, and even February in some cases. And, uh, I don't think that's a surprise uh, to anybody, uh, out there because export business is certainly underwhelming. Chinese demand, quiet. Um, it's hard to export canola seed out of this country right now or just hasn't happened at the same type of volume as in the past and so your crushers have um, some really good margins uh, out there and um, it's kind of the only place to really move canola these days it's it's at your crusher so they're filling up um i also noticed um, the top well, i shouldn't say top but some large consulting firms in Western Canada put out recommendations here 
altogether, um, basically, it's uh, it's actually a little bit interesting how they all came out very close to each other. And uh, maybe there was a signal there that I, I wasn't aware of. That's probably it. Um, of course, lots of uh, uh, very intelligent people running those uh, running those companies. And um, uh, canola recommendations came out. So if you can imagine that, you know, so top, so anyway, some large uh, consulting companies, thousands of subscribers across the prairies, not hundreds, thousands, especially when you lump them all together, all got told at the same time to sell canola. All right. And it might be the best decision. It, it, I'm not one here to say that that was good or bad. But when you get that message going to a large group of farmers in a small um, space like Western Canada, uh, that's going to put a little bit of pressure in the market, I, I would think. Um, that's a call to action. And those recommendations were at like 700, 710, 715, 720, all in there. And, you know, thousands of people got that and thousands of people, I'm assuming, maybe hundreds, but maybe thousands acted on that uh, on that news. I'm assuming that, okay? Maybe you got the recommendation. You didn't do anything, but um, but you're paying the big bucks for service. You should be right listening and executing so that could lead that could mean uh and and be one reason why we saw some of this pressure here recently this all has happened over the last week or so and uh we had healthy looking chart rallying a little bit showing a bit of momentum and uh, and a lot of sales happening and those are important sales like i'm not trying to say that that was the wrong thing to do because it's not everyone has to put money in the bank and uh cash flow needs are greatest in uh november december january february we've march april like everybody needs money in the winter and so this is all pretty normal stuff but i just think that it added to a bit of the pressure that's all i'm trying to say here it's added to the pressure when you got all these firms selling at the same time Alrighty. now i'm still optimistic in the canola market um i still think the stats can report's going to print a bigger canola production number for canada and i believe that will pressure futures lower in the in the short term um but i also see some upside in palm oil i see some upside potential in uh, soybeans uh, we'll see what happens with brazilian weather if i have to update us on um what bam wx said last week uh there is uh you know some rains for sure but um Maybe a little underwhelming, and uh, and the forecast has to verify. There has to, it says it's going to rain more, but uh, will it? You know, time will tell. Um, it does normally rain in Brazil. They they normally get that rain. So if they don't, it would be uh, a little bit rare. But I am still quietly optimistic. I just think some of the selling pressure could happen because uh, of uh, some of the wrecks that went out across the prairies. All right. Um, moving on to uh, to wheat. Um, my heart sank a little bit. Uh, I think I had a, a what the futures moment um, <laughs> this week when I noticed across Twitter that every farm and their dog now has a, a wheat basis contract out there. And um, it's no uh, secret that basis levels are are and have been very attractive. And uh, I guess I was hoping to keep it like our little secret to do a basis contract, but word got out. And uh, the reason I have that sinking feeling <clears throat> is because there's still not a lot of bullish information for for a wheat futures rally. Okay, um, I, I you know hopefully it plays out for everybody. But if we all have a basis contract running, 
uh, just be disciplined in your futures target. Don't don't aim for the moon, especially during the winter here. Spring is different. If you have a basis contract for spring and you want to see what happens with weather next spring, that's that's different. Um, not saying that's right or wrong, but it's very rare that as a community of farmers that we all do the same thing, same exact thing, and that we all succeed with that same thing. And I know that sounds crazy. Um, and it's something that I've talked about for years. And it doesn't mean to go be a contrarian at all times. Don't get me wrong. But it just, to me, the, the situation of having a wheat basis contract where everyone has it and futures rally like crazy and we all win. Um, it, I have my doubts in that. So stay disciplined on your wheat basis contracts. Not saying it was good or bad right now. Um, you could have the best basis that was offered, capture the the you know only rally in in the winter and and make out like a bandit. Um, but just be disciplined in your wheat basis because um, I don't know this one just kind of it stinks a little bit for me at this time. So if I told you to do a wheat basis and you were like, hey, this guy sounds crazy, but I'm going to do it. Um, just keep that target nice and tight and and stay disciplined there. Okay. Um, yeah, hopefully that helps. I. I've been chatting with some grain buyers to get some insight on my next topic here. And it's consistent. The message is consistent. Farmers are very bullish. Everyone feels undersold. And we're entering, or we have entered this dark time of marketing, which is the winter months. Like this is absolutely normal. Like for me, this is when I want to be delivering grain. I don't want to be contracting grain. I want to be delivering grain. And I'm delivering grain to fill up the bank account to pay all those bills that are coming due in these Jan, Feb, March. This isn't really the time where I do a lot of selling and a lot of marketing uh, per se. It's a dark time. And if you're not in a bull run like in 22 or portions of 23, this is a tough time for marketing. And this is normal. This is absolutely normal. And uh, yeah, it's... Um, you know, we got to get through this this time before uh, before you maybe see that light at the end of the tunnel and that and that rally. Um, <clears throat> but buyers are all telling me that everyone's kind of holding on. And um, again, I just don't in a market that's been trending lower for a lot of crops, some of the big crops. It's um, yeah, I don't know. Just having uh, grain and storage in in twenty three and twenty four has been an expensive uh, marketing plan. Um, all right. Uh, what else did I want to switch to now when it comes to marketing here? We've talked about wheat bases. We've talked about canola. I've talked about my grain buyers. Um, you know, moving forward here, I, I wanted to chat crop rankings just, just briefly. And I, I do crop rankings uh, all sorts of different ways. I, I do one where I project average price for the year um, for, for my region or my farm i do one with in, insurance prices when those come out um i do uh i do one with actual prices at times and uh but i i'm trying to figure out what my average price is going to be because i know i can't sell everything all at, at once or i probably won't but if crop rankings if you're farming like northern parts of the prairies maybe highway 16 north is kind of a uh, a benchmark I just uh, I noticed here that from from my scenario, oats was was very very friendly, 
the canola market as well at current prices uh, certainly trends towards the high end of crop rankings, which is totally normal and fine. Uh, green peas, I actually got some new crop bids. Green peas between $12.20 and $13 a bushel for next fall. That actually lifted my projections and put green peas in like a top scenario. I don't have lentils in here yet. Lentils would also uh, show some really promising numbers because you've got new crop bids at 44 cents on small greens, 47 on large greens, small red lentils, 32 cents. Uh, some of those would actually pencil out very well uh, as well and into some of the top crops. Um, <clears throat> but uh, green peas surprised me and yellow peas surprised me. Yellow peas uh, seeing as high as nine seventy five, just a, a sniff away from 10 bucks for the fall of 24. And I don't see anyone getting that excited about it. I kind of am, but um, people aren't, aren't that excited. Uh, maple peas, uh, a really fun, interesting story where buyers said, we don't have a price. Just ask, just show us what acres you could maybe grow and we'll come back to you with a price. It's so tight for maple pea seed out there. They don't even know it's going to get planted right now. And of course, barley scenarios are a little bit harsh. Uh, even wheat scenarios are, are a little bit harsh here from, from some of the numbers I've, I've run. Um, <clears throat> crop rankings, I encourage you to do it for your farm. It's an exercise that uh, could certainly help and maybe pay dividends as well with planning. And I don't have a silver bullet crop out there yet, but maybe I'll come up with one uh, in, in short order. Again, oats uh, to, to me is playing out really, really well. So let's bring in right now Craig Davidson and uh, let's get Craig to uh, teach us a little bit about how to grow that big oat crop in uh, 2024. All right, I have with me in this week's episode, Craig Davidson from Taurus Egg. Craig, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Very well. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. Awesome. Um, Craig, whereabouts are you, uh, where are you broadcasting from there? What part of uh, the country are you uh, calling home? Yeah, I currently reside in uh, western Manitoba, a small town called Verdon, but uh as tourists, we we operate across all of Canada and parts of the northern tier U.S. So, yeah, we're actually based in, in Alberta, in Calgary, but uh, I'm out yep. here in western Manitoba. Yeah. Has, um, has winter arrived in your area yet? Like, I don't have any snow here. What You got any snow going on? Is it winter in Burden? Yeah. You know what? I'd say it's like, uh, what's the old saying? You, the crow's got to show up three times or leave three times but yeah we've had yeah we've had three three snowfalls and and it's gone away every time so it's uh yeah for the end of november we're we've had actually a we call a great month really it's gonna make winter yep. shorter for sure so yeah we're we've been fortunate I, and it brought some moisture too so yeah it's been good yeah that's important i uh a little bit of moisture, lots of fall work happening. Farmers busy out there just getting this uh, this bonus time out in the field. And, you know, I told my wife the other day, I said, if we don't have any snow for another week, let's just cancel Mexico. Because why bother? With such a short winter coming, you know, why bother? So, I'm sure uh, she wouldn't be happy. No. <laughs> no, no, not super thrilled. Um, okay, so let's jump into Taurus Egg a little bit now. What uh, What are you guys doing? over at Taurus. I, I love the the bull in the logo because as a crop marketing guy, 
a bull is a good sign, right? Um, but uh, what are you guys doing over at Taurus? Yeah, you know what? We've been, uh, <clears throat> we've had a passionate pursuit of, you know, finding ways to make agriculture better for the last 23 years. You know, we're uh, predominantly in the area of agronomy and fertility. You know, I, we today we call ourselves the fertility company. That's how we want to be known in agriculture, but that's everything from from finding better agronomic solutions in the area of fertility for plants, but also includes a broad base of biological solutions today that, you know, really, it, you know, there's a, a definite, I would say a need, but also there's a, a strong consumer desire to actually have more conductivity in how our food's being grown. I mean, we're still focused on ultimately growing more bushels and, and better quality to help growers be more profitable. But if we can do it in a way that's has a sustainable feel and it's good for everybody in society, then why not? And so that's, you know, we work hard at, at trying to achieve all those metrics. And that's, uh, I mean, it's not easy. You know, there's no, no silver bullets in this industry that we operate in, but you know, there's always, if you keep pushing and, and challenging the status quo, you're always going to continue to find small gains. And mm -hmm. I think that's what we've, we've done very well over the last couple decades, just, you know, continually challenging ourselves to find ways to help growers be better at what they do. And, and there, there's always companies and individuals working on new ideas and new solutions. And yeah, it makes, makes agriculture a real fun place to be, you know, day to day. Yes, we deal with stresses that come our way, but, but for the most part, we're, we're still helping grow food. And, you know, that part is, uh, that's always, you know, we've always enjoyed that. And, you know, when we can find profitability for growers to do that, then it's, yeah, we've, it's kept us in this market for, like I said, a long time. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, 23 years, uh, I, I can't even imagine going back 23 years where, where it started and where you're at today and all the differences <laughs> along the way. Right. Like incredible, I would think. Yeah. Um, but you know, our fundamentals are still the same, but yeah, you know, you'd say it's agriculture is definitely different than when we started, you know, there was a yeah. good look back to the start. You couldn't pencil a profit in any crop back, you know, back in the late nineties. It's like, why would we be starting a business when you can't, <laughs> you can't make farming make sense. Right. And yet yeah. growers would always find a way, you know, they'd always find a way to, you know, find that crop that worked and, or the, you know, the commodities changed and, you know, away you go again. So, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. I, uh, I was chatting with one of my agronomy buddies the other day and, uh, he, uh, just his big thing, and I've known this guy for a while, but his big thing was, uh, we, we used to talk about, you know, like, uh, the plant and, and feeding the plant, but his whole thing right now is about soil health and, and, improving the soil and like i just told him like dude like we've been chatting for a long time and this is just kind of evolve he's evolving into this different uh you know this different not area but set of plant it's leaning towards soil so um so i help um yeah. so i i've got you on the show today i do this thing called a, a crop ranking calculator and it drives farmers bonkers because it's um basically a, a, a calculation that 
you can change and manipulate every number and it's different for you know depending on you know the area that you're farming and, and uh, how you farm and all that stuff but I, I like to do it because it starts to paint a picture on maybe what you know we'll see for acres next year uh, it could also highlight um, you know what's kind of most profitable uh, to look at you know in these early days and um, I've got a couple of interesting ones that popped up here the, the first one being uh, you know if you're farming maybe north of highway 16 across the prairies uh, I'm seeing oats uh, pencil in really really well uh, you expect to see like canola uh, you know at the top and it is uh, towards the top and and maybe some of these pulses that are in short supply uh, but I've got oats uh, actually tracking really 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 well and you know I'm just wondering if there if we could chat for a minute about um, how how can we maybe push the envelope on on that yield potential and, and I don't know if there's anything on quality we could talk about as well but 2024 um, it, it you know it could be setting up to be a, a little bit more of a challenging year from a margin perspective and so uh, in my mind we have to do everything we can to maximize those bushels so uh, if we could, let's talk a little agronomy on on oats and maybe some of the uh, uh, the, the products that you could uh, uh, enlighten us on that you guys offer. Sure, you bet. <clears throat> yeah, I always find it funny. You know, you'd say it's uh, you talk about a crop like oats, and sometimes you think, well, that's what that's what growers grow to feed horses, or the cattle guys grow their oats so they can get green feed. But in all yeah. reality, it's you know, it's funny today with the the technology, the genetics, you know, the varieties that we have today in our ability to actually pursue both yield and quality, you know, it's changed a lot and it's, uh, you know, yes, maybe the, maybe the price per bushel is not, not in the sweet spot like we want for canola or, you know, or what we would consider our cash crops, but, but yeah, you are right. Like you can drive, there is an opportunity to drive yield. And when you can push the bar on, you know, 150 plus, you'd say, holy cow, that crop is, uh, yeah. And it's it's not typically, yes, you don't have to go all the way on, on dollars per acre to grow it either, right? So it's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in our world, you're right. I mean, we, I would treat a crop of oats just like I would treat a crop of canola. What can we do with it? You know, if you think like that and you say, what, if we treat it right and we look after it, what potential is there there? You know, from the day you put the seed in the ground, you know, how good a quality of seed do you have? How do we get it up and growing quickly? Um, and, you know, today with the varieties that are a little bit shorter stature and yep. you say, well, what, what does our fertility program look like? What can we do? And with, without question, I'd say the first thing we would say is, is yeah, okay, maybe just, just don't focus on N. But if you actually focus on a, a balanced approach, you know, make sure you have adequate phosphorus, adequate sulfur, adequate potassium, uh, you know, this crop can grow a strong, robust, call it factory. And if you get that established quickly, then, you know, we're setting ourselves up for potential. Uh, interestingly enough, like when you actually look at what it takes to grow a bushel of oats, mm -hmm. It, it actually is a bit of a consumer of nutrients. There's no doubt, you know, call it give or take. You're probably looking at one, 1.1 pounds of N per bushel. Uh, you need roughly about 
uh, four tenths of a pound of phosphate. So, you know, so oh, we don't think of it as a high nutrient using, but well, at a hundred bushels, you do the math that that's 40 yep. pounds of phosphate just to, just to grow it. Right. Yep. You look at something like potash and this is where it gets interesting. And if you're talking, call it North of the 16, or you start getting into some of the gray wooded area, soil areas, it actually takes more potash to grow a bushel than it does nitrogen, which is not all crops are like that. But when it comes to oats, you're close to about one and a half pounds of, of potassium per bushel to grow it. So, oh, wow. yep. yeah. So you want to grow, I'll just use a hundred bushels, but say a hundred bushels yep. oats, it's got to find 150 pounds of potassium an acre to make that happen. And, and sometimes that's where we start to fall short or sometimes that's where the older varieties, if they're a little bit taller, you know, where we had all this N, but it couldn't find enough potassium and what would they do? They would lodge. So then growers yep. are like, well, I, I hate growing oats because they go flat. We can't push yields. And when they go flat, then they don't yield at all. Right. So yep. even something like sulfur, you know, you're looking at, you know, call it for every hundred, hundred bushels, you need about 13 pounds of S sulfur to grow that. So all of a sudden it's like, holy cow, this oat crop, if I balance my fertility and I treat it kind of like canola, like put on a balanced approach with higher levels of nutrients, then I'd say, yeah, without a doubt, the pursuit of 150, 160, 170. I mean, you get into parts of Manitoba where I'm from and 200 and 210, yeah. you know, it's like, holy cow, this is, it's like you're growing corn, right? You're, yeah. you're finding yields that are hard to fathom, but balance fertility, focus on, focus on phosphate, focus on potash, focus on sulfur. And if you do a good job of that, you will maximize your nitrogen use efficiency and and you'll probably keep it from lodging, you know, because the crop is taking in higher nu nutrients uh, concentrations at, at the same rate. The um, when I look at an, an oat yield or oat yield potential, it's one of those crops in my mind or my, in my opinion that you can see that large uh, variance in in yield. So, it, you know, if you do change your your approach a little bit you could see a substantial increase in, in yield potential. And if we get 150, you know, that's north of 750 bucks an acre. If you're gonna, you know, hit out of the park at 200, that, that's a thousand bucks an acre, north of a thousand bucks an acre. There's not a lot of crops that, that you can actually pencil that in right now for 2024. And, no. uh, and, and so it's change, changing that mentality around that oak crop, uh, just just a little bit um is there is there anything in your uh in your toolbox at, at taurus that uh is kind of a a, a go-to for farmers when they're uh, working with an oat crop yeah you know what i mean we <laughs> it's kind of you know we have a broad portfolio of agronomic solutions you know today we probably have yep. 45 different products on the shelf and you know all, all we try to do is put the right product in the right in the right place and you know I, I could say everything from you know putting something on the seed like a nutrient package in prime or we have a new biological called ignite which is a, a endophytic organism that actually works right inside of the plant it's crazy it helps the plant with its own natural defense 
mechanism against stress. Plus it also helps with nutrient conversion and efficiency inside the cells. So it's a very cool organism that comes from India, but now is registered in Canada. Okay. If you look at fertility, you know, I would say one of the kind of call it two low hanging fruits for us would be obviously a product called polysulfate, which is a, a natural mineral from the earth that has potassium, sulfur, calcium, and magnesium all, all naturally in the prill. So when you think of here's a crop that needs a lot of potassium, it needs a lot of sulfur to balance out that nitrogen. Uh, it's a natural fit for oats, honestly. And, you know, for the most part, like if you're talking a cash crop and you're selling these oats that are going to go to a miller, chances are mm -hmm. it's, it's going to end up as human consumption somewhere along the food chain. Right. And, yep. you know, it, polysulfate has proven out to be a, a, it's a slow feeding nutrient package. You know, if we can get nutrients fill, feeding that plant closer to, uh, call it filling and maturity of the grain, you know, we, we know that it actually makes a better quality grain as well. So more nutrient dense, you know, obviously bushel weight is everything in oats, you know, that's yep. where you're going to get your, your premiums and, uh, one thing that's interesting, not to get down a rabbit hole here, but, um, you know, if, if an oat kernel doesn't finish properly, you can end up with a concentration of aspergine. And if you bake it or fry it, that can turn into acrylamides. Well, acrylamides are naturally known in the world to be a potential cause of cancer. And so that is one of the issues with oats. It, it tends to, if it doesn't finish that kernel properly, we tend to see some issue with, with the concentration of aspergine bake it fry it what you do if you're going to turn it into a granola bar or whatever mm -hmm. and then you can end up with higher acrylamines and nobody wants that you know it's it's widely known in the potato business same thing you bake or fry a potato high in aspergine you get high acrylamides okay. so polysulfate has been proven out to reduce aspergine and lower the amount of acrylamides and so it's a nice fit both agronomically but also from a quality perspective and that that is probably the, so we're, we're we talk about it for like 10 years and say, we're going to eventually get paid for quality too, not just yield. Um, but I think every year that goes by, we get closer and closer to that. And yeah, I would agree. You know, yep. Countries that are further along or processors that are closer to the consumer, you know, eventually they're just going to continue to ask for these and eventually they'll, they'll have to pay growers to be better at what they do. So yep. that's yep. a, that's a good fit. Uh, because of those attributes that that, that uh, natural mineral can bring. Yeah, uh, yeah I appreciate uh, appreciate you bringing that up and and giving us more context around that. Um, I'm not I I don't know anything about agronomy, so I'm just writing down all the big words here, and I'll Google them after. Um, so I appreciate you joining uh, today's episode. Where can people uh, uh, if they want more information? Where should they go? Uh, Taurus.egg, you know, that's our website, uh, yep. you know, Taurus.agriculture is what it's supposed to stand for. But yeah, that's kind of the, I guess the house where you could find, call it the basic information. It also would probably connect you to one of our local representatives, depends on where you're from, where you're from across yep. the country. You know, we have people from Ontario all the way through to, to BC. So, um, you know, we always say we're a, boots on the ground type of business. I mean, we want to interact and be involved with growers and retailers and consultants and, uh, you know, nothing like learning if you actually 
living it yourself and seeing it with your own eyes. And uh, yep. so, yeah, I mean, it's like I said, we got all these solutions, but well, we only want to put the right product in the right spot. And so we're using a baseline of agronomy. We, uh, we just brought a new business to Western Canada or Canada as a whole called trace genomics as well, that they're, uh, they're actually using, um, DNA sequencing technology. It's the same technology that we use in human science, but, uh, basically they're mapping out the living soil now too. So, you know, we can get a full spectrum of, of both pathogens and beneficial organisms. It gives us a better understanding of things like nutrient cycling and how biology works with the natural mm -hmm. soil to actually make nutrients more available to a plant. And yeah, it's, it's like, uh, I always say it's like disruption happens over years. Like you, you expect it to happen, like when you snap your fingers, but in all reality, it takes time for disruption. And I, I do think this is, uh, this is truly going to change agriculture to a point where like, we're never going back. Once we know like the whole aspect of what's going on in our soil, we're never going back to not knowing and yep, yep. having the ability to understand your soil at a DNA level is, uh, I think it's going to make us better oat growers, you know, and, and allow us to grow better quality and, and, you know, leverage nature, like the good, the good, the good biology that we know is working for us, but we just really can't, we can't figure it out. Like we just can't figure yep. it out right now. Yeah. Yeah. But now, now somebody's figured it out. Somebody's figured out how to take a bag of dirt and run it through a DNA sequencing machine and tell you how many billions of DNA strands you have and what they are. And you're like, Holy Jesus. Like I can't, I just like, I can't wrap my head around how that's done, but yeah. it's, it's happening. Yeah. I, uh, I'm making notes here and I think, uh, next time we get together, I think, uh, I know exactly where we're going to start on the next <laughs> one. So, uh, thank you so much, Craig, uh, for joining me, uh, today. Um, I appreciate the insight on helping us grow a, a bigger oat crop. And again, one of my top crops uh, for 2024. Um, hope you had a good time. Anything else you want to add before you uh, before we pop off? Yeah, well, thanks for having us. You know, this is great, great opportunity and I enjoyed talking to you. And yeah, I'd say if there's one take home, you know, any grower out there, treat that oat crop like it's your cash crop. Get it in the ground early, use a, a good balanced approach to fertility and pursue fertility because I we know what's possible, but understand even what it takes to grow a bushel. And if you get there, then you can start to map out a plan and say, well, we we got to step on the gas a little bit more for this crop. We were we were treating it, we weren't treating it right. We weren't, we we're it was like, ah, it's our third, fourth, fifth crop down the line that we'll put it in last and we'll treat it like flax and we don't care. And don't do that. Don't do that look after it, treat it right. And it'll, it'll give back to you. Yeah. Perfect. Sounds good, Craig. Thanks again. And uh, take care, man. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Thanks a lot. All right, folks. So we're at the last part of the show here. I know it's been a packed episode, uh, longest one to date. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, I'm going to defer some stuff to next week. Uh, I know uh, Ukraine crops are in, are in pretty good shape over there. We talked about India weather. Uh, I want to talk about some crop marketing uh, books that you might be interested in. Maybe we should start a book club. I don't know. I'm going to crack open a new book here uh, right away for my uh, my final month of reading for December. I got a new crop marketing book I'm going to uh, take a, a look at. 
so we'll we'll talk about that more in the next episode. I also have the five mistakes of crop marketing. We'll talk about that a little bit later on as well. Um, our farm right now, again, I don't know if this sounds nuts to share about some of the things that we we work on at certain times of the year. But you know, me personally, and and uh, the farm we we're right now we're focusing on obviously delivering grain is a big part of what we're doing, but um lots of conferences coming up so reviewing agendas looking at what uh, education uh, pieces are out there um and, and where we can devote some of our time to learn a new skill or, or brush up on on something um i've also been busy working in uh, harvest profit which is the platform we're using to track our costs and grain contracts and all that good stuff been brushing that up for 2024 uh actually nick with harvest profit is going to join me here in a couple of weeks uh, to talk about all sorts of uh, financial stuff when it comes to farming um and so yeah i, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode if you did um, I don't really care if you give me a star, five stars or whatever. That doesn't really matter to me. Um, if you do like what you're hearing, I do appreciate you sharing this with your farming friends and neighbors. Um, again, having a lot of fun putting this together. Uh, we do have our Black Friday sale, free shipping, free coffee. And with that, folks, I am out. Take care.